namo tathā bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tathā bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tathā bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Aparuta de Sangamatasa Taura is Hodavanta Bamunchan to Satang. So, this is the observance night and the one week left till we enter the uh, Vasa, traditional Vasa three month retreat. And of course, this is a time where the comings and goings are. Everybody's getting their last minute business done or going here, going there. So just notice the way the, <coughs> you know, when we're meeting, when we have a kind of date to, to meet and the mind uh, plans to they do all the necessary things before and of course the weather, the summertime, the conditions around us are good for travel. And then this week, uh, tomorrow is the Bapacha Hana Hanagarika Hana is going forth and then my birthday 70th birthday on Tuesday. Uh, it's an action-packed week. And so in terms of reflecting on this, this is the way it is. I like this, this uh, the, the, the teaching the Buddha established is not a teaching based on how things should be, um, but on the way it is. So the way it is, is is never the way it should be. But it is what it is. And I think this is a very important uh, reflection for all of us, because uh, we can never find contentment or peace or <coughs> happiness in the world uh, unless we learn how to accept the conditions that we're experiencing the way they are. And so this is called the teaching of Dhamma. And the word Dhamma then is, is uh, this is the Pali word for that uh, isn't isn't based on an abstract idea or some kind of metaphysical ideal, but uh, it is through awakening that we realize the truth of the way it is. So then this awakening is uh, this wake-up practice, mindfulness, being alert to the way it is, not through the conditioned mind through our culturally tainted 
uh, conditioned thinking mind, but through awareness, which, which is the reality of, of non-conditions, not conditions, but it's receptive and aware of conditions. So when we talk about the word condition, this sometimes baffles people because uh, usually people don't understand uh, the significance of this English word. It's such a kind of ordinary word anyway. But in, uh, it's generally translated from the Pali, Sankaras, which mean all that is created and uh, that, is, that arises and ceases. So that applies to uh, material or as well as mental, emotional, whatever. So it's not a, it's a, uh, where it conveys limitation, quality, the condition means that it's, the conditions change. The, you can't, you can't keep, you, you can't find permanent conditions. Uh, you can't create perfect conditions and sustain perfect conditions. And yet this is very much what we, we try to do with, with our lives. Trying to create the perfect environment, perfect relationship, perfect family, perfect everything, only to, you know, with, because we can imagine, we can create this idea of how it should be if, if everything were perfect. So that's what our intellect does. It's based on, you know, creating things, perfect images, and, and on judgments, on saying how one thing is better than another, or this is good or that's evil, or you're right or you're wrong. Well, this is bigger than that. So it, it, has func it has functional purpose. But as a way of finding <coughs> inner peace, contentment, happiness uh, within this experience of human consciousness, it only leads to di more discontentment. So just noticing my own critical mind, it's, uh, I can always uh, find something wrong with, with every situation, if I want to. If I'm uh, programmed for criticism, you know, if, I, if I've got a, got a kind of axe to grind or particular bias uh, about something or other, then I tend to, to notice that. If I have a prejudice or a bias in that way, I tend to my my experience tends to notice everything that confirms this prejudice. So we have, you know, in the present world, uh, uh, our various biases, preferences, prejudices, opinions, and views about ourselves, each other, uh, religion, politics, race, class, all the rest of it. The ideal, you say, of modern society is to have a, you know, perfectly egalitarian, just and fair 
peaceful, happy society where everything is what it should be. And so that's a beautiful ideal. There's no denying the beauty of idealism. And, and I'm not condemning or even criticizing ideals, but the blind attachment. So in, in the Buddhist teaching, he's pointing that ignorance is the cause. Not understanding things as they really are leads to clinging, to holding on to, to something that's really not the way it is. So when we, we start out, I remember in my own life being very idealistic as a youth and university student, developing uh, my critical faculties. And, uh, and it was, I rather enjoyed it, you know, for a while it has its, its pleasures. <coughs> but as, as you get on in life, it increasingly becomes more depressing. Because I think, at least for speaking from my own experience of youth, I was quite as optimistic. It seemed like I tended to think the future held great promise and for, you know, creating a better society and making everything better and better. Back in the 50s, I remember it so, so much. The we, we thought all illnesses by this time would be... Uh, cured through some modern science. This is, you know, back 1950. We really believe this, that modern medicine was getting so advanced that by this time, 2004, we would have found uh, a cure for every disease. Cancer, I remember, was you know, cancer would no longer be a problem. We'd learn how to cure cancer and Tuberculosis had already been conquered, and malaria, and smallpox, and all the rest. You get all these injections when you're an infant, and and you just have to find out the right kind of vaccination or prophylactic or whatever in order to to uh, get rid of all illness. Now that's very idealistic, isn't it? And naive. And in, in notice the Buddha's teaching about the, the devadutas or the heavenly messengers are old age, sickness, and death. Not health and success. Old age and uh, sickness. And yet, 1950, we thought, well, get rid of sickness. And there's even the possibility of getting rid of old age. We'll find ways of stopping the aging process and we'll will be forever young and beautiful. Now that seems very naive. <laughs> and yet there's still so much of that hope and longing to, to, uh, to preserve, to, to, to get a, get, reach a peak and preserve it, to, to have the very best and to hold on to it forever. So then the Buddha just notice the way things are, just like you're breathing. Anapanasati. You know, inhaling, you inhale so long that you can't inhale anymore. Reaches a peak, and then that's the beginning of the exhale, exhalation. That's the way it is. The conditions, that's one function of the human body. 
And it's the, the, the basic pattern of conditioned phenomena. Arising, ceasing. So in, in beginning meditation practice, we encourage this, this noticing, being aware of the breath, mindfulness of breathing, is kind of the basis of Buddhist meditation. Basic practice. Just being aware of inhalation and an exhalation. Now we never notice our breath usually unless, you know, we, it's, we're having, we're ill and we're, it's very difficult and it's painful to breathe. But ordinary breathing, we, we generally just can do anything, think anything we want, go anywhere and uh, not notice. And never really contemplate, reflect on the experience of breathing. So we, we might uh, want to study uh, respiratory, the respiratory system in, in uh, physiology, anatomy, and try to figure it all out through uh, looking at diagrams in, in books and, uh, and gaining all the terminology and, and, and analyzing the function. But the reality of breathing is ever present, isn't it? We're breathing. When you're not breathing, you're, you're dead. So um, breathing is is this way, and, and with mindfulness of the breathing, just learning to to pay with the just notice, alert to the reality of inhaling, say at the nostrils, and exhaling. And I remember when I first started doing this, I found it quite difficult because uh, I'd want to figure it out. I'd always be be caught in doubt about it what's the, and thinking, what's the point of this? Inhaling, exhaling, so what? Because my mind was conditioned to try to, to figure things out, to analyze, to define, to make judgments, rather than just trusting in the awareness of an inhalation is like this. And I became aware that inhalation is different from the exhalation. <laughs> Inhalate. How do you how do you explain the difference? You know, how do you uh, do we have the words in English that can truly give you the the uh, and explain to you the difference between inhaling and exhaling? And um, my mind goes blank. <laughs> Except it's uh, obvious if you just notice inhaling is like this, exhaling is like this. Well, this may sound very simple and even almost stupid to some of you, because <laughs> who cares? You know, on the level of, of the conditioned thinking process, we don't, want, we don't really value the immediacy or the, um, the reality that we're experiencing. We're looking for maybe something fantastic, something special, something extraordinary, special effect to be truly shocked and horrified or be excited or thrilled uh, is so much the, the desire to, to be taken to extremes of experience. So in, in mass media, what are the common uh, conditions that all humans easily get excited about are sex and violence. Sex is exciting and violence is exciting. 
don't you see so many uh, cinema is around this because this is this is the easy for us we can we can absorb into it because that's the way it is sex is exciting and violence is exciting <coughs> Competitions, competitive sports, to, isn't it the, you know, the football mentality? All these are the ways of ex, uh, of going to extremes. These are special situations that we we can commit ourselves to and absorb into. And and who wants to be aware of one's breathing when you're watching a football game? You know, in the all the excitement of the of Competition is present. You, you know, you, you that that kind of exciting feeling is very pleasurable. So the thinking mind and emotional habits are based on extremities. You know, I don't I know hardly anyone who really wants peace and contentment in life. As an ideal, they like it. You know, the idea of let's have peace, no war. And uh, find real, real happiness in just simple things. It's very, you know, as an ideal. But the reality of peace. Many, many of of you who have uh, been meditating find peaceful states. And and uh, and when they first, when you first experience peace, stillness, emptiness, it's quite a relief. But there's something in us that doesn't really like that. wants wants to make that wants to uh, have something more than that. Could nibbana be so boring? Because we can imagine, you know, something like nibbana as a real high, you know, where you're just totally kind of ecstatic in some blissed-out state that we can imagine. Um, then, and, and sometimes we can reach those kind of peaks of, of bliss through concentrating, concentration practices or through contingencies. But they're very dependent and very, you know, they're created and they're, 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 they're you can't sustain that kind of experience this kind of ideal state of, of ecstatic bliss. You can't sustain it. It's not sustainable in this realm that we're living in. Though the Buddha was pointing to notice the way things are. The realm that we're living in is like this. The body, the human body is like this. The sense world we're, is, is, is a feeling experience, isn't it? Sense sensuality, sense experience is all about um, duality. There's pleasure, pain, happiness, suffering. Uh, there's one, ex one extreme and then, the, then it's opposite. And sense, sense, uh, the senses, they're sensitive. So sensitivity is is like this, and with awareness, we're we're noticing, we're awakening to the reality of sensitivity rather than 
just being caught in identifying, in resisting, in resenting if, this, if the senses aren't stimulated with what we like and want and appreciate. How we can feel angry and resentful and blaming and uh, when, when we're experiencing sensory uh, impingement that we don't like and is terrible and ugly and un unwanted. But the, the, the reflection on the way it is, the sense realm, is what I'm trying to point to, is, is to trust in your own noticing, sensitivity, when we, when, we, when we contemplate Vedana or feeling, we're noticing pleasure, pain, neutral feeling, just on the basic level of physical sensation. Pleasurable sense experiences, unpleasurable sense experiences, and neutral sense experiences. We're, we're not comparing one with the other, but we're noticing that pleasure is like this, pain is like this, neither pleasure nor pain is like this. So this is not a thought process, is it? We're not defining or preferring or blaming or analyzing, but we are discerning the way it is. And you notice that all sensory experiences, you can't sustain them. You can't sustain beautiful sensory experiences for very long, or through, through sight, sound, smell, taste, or touch, or thought, or emotion. Because this realm that we live in is this experience of continuous flux, changingness, impermanent. Conditions are changing. <coughs> and then the Buddha's pointing to, notice what change is. Observe, awaken to, to the reality of, of this moment. It's changing. Change is like this. And to have that recognition, that insight into change or impermanence isn't, isn't uh, through analyzing change but recognizing change. It's re realizing change is like this. So this is why we're pointing to this, this uh, awareness, mindfulness, sampachanya is, is uh, fully understanding it for what it is. Apprehension, it's, uh, or apperception, these kind of words, it's, it's embracing quality of conscious experience that's not focused on one thing, but just noticing through receiving the present moment as it is in its complexity. The simplicity lies in the awareness, the complexity can be you know, can be to be uh, to varying degrees. Notice in monastic life, we we tend to gravitate towards uh, peaceful places, being silent and quiet, restrained, uh, living out in the in the forest or the countryside, away from the noise and the furrow of the city and the village, uh, moving towards environment situations. 
communal practices that that are not, uh, you know, basically uh, an onslaught of sensory, harsh sensory impingement. So we, we're moving, we're trying to, say, move toward uh, uh, situations that help to, to, uh, be, to allow us to be more calm than we would be in situations where there's a lot of harsh action, loud noises, or endless demands. But then we can, uh, you know, out of not recognizing the way things are, out of just attaching. I, I have to live in the forest, I can't live in the city. Then we, then of course we, we uh, whenever we go to London, then we feel, oh, I can't practice in London, it's too noisy, too much traffic, too polluted. <laughs> and so we've, we've already kind of made that decision without realizing what we're doing. We, we've already formed a bias. I like the countryside better than the city. The city's bad, the countryside's good. So discerning is, is just an uh, awakening to whatever opinions we have. It's not that even getting rid of opinions, but recognizing opinion. To hold an opinion, even a very good opinion, out of ignorance, is the, is the cause of suffering. So in we, I, I, I've been through this experience like in Thailand being very attached to a monastery there. And then when it, uh, and I wanted to protect it and, and kind of control it so that it would, you know, fulfill my desires. And when it started changing, uh, you know, to becoming a quite popular place, people, a lot of people started coming, and and so for then I began to feel this threat, threat of being invaded by others and my peaceful uh, haven being uh, invaded, and then I was suffering, even though I was in the peaceful haven. Even when they were with nobody in it but me, I still could create enormous suffering about worrying about the future, the possibility, the probability of invaders coming in and causing, making endless demands on me. And, and I was so getting so attached to this ideal of the perfect forest monastery that would be mine and I would just stay there and protect myself in it and, and the place itself led to ultimate despair because I couldn't do it. Now the Lumpacha was always pointing that out to me but even though I could understand what you were saying, I never really understood it till I has really suffered. <laughs> you know, when you, you know, we agree, you shouldn't be attached to anything, you shouldn't attach to a monastery, you shouldn't attach to a teacher. You know, the idea of shouldn't attach, you shouldn't be attached to anything. 
and uh, and then uh, you know we all agree that there's no problem there. That seems another lovely ideal, non-attachment. But what is attachment? Not in putting defining it in terms of well, it, it's caused through ignorance and not seeing things, and then kind of dismissing it, seeing attachment as something bad or something wrong with you. But awakening to the realities of what we're attached to. What is attachment? What is clinging? What is, it re what is the reality of that? If I'm suffering right now, it's because I'm attached. I've, I'm clinging to something or other. And so this is referring to that, if I, w using my own suffering, my own sense of, I don't feel very good and I feel ill at ease and I, I'm upset about something. Then on the worldly level, I tend to blame, don't I? Seek to, seek to blame the neighbors or somebody or something. <coughs> but... <coughs> Don't believe that, even if they are being a nuisance and troublesome. That's not the cause of suffering, not somebody else. But ignorance, attachment out of ignorance. Like not wanting something to be the way it is. So with this practice of awareness, we, we began to have insight, <coughs> understanding, which is not conditioned. You know, it's not a, it's not another condition you attach to. It's it's a, it's a, unless we attach to the memory of having an insight, and that's the problem for many meditators is they have insights and then they attach to the memories of them. So they say, well, I had the winter's retreat. I had wonderful insights into impermanence. And then, uh, then we, then we think we have to that 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 we want to have that experience again. We remember it. So, you know, having a lot of peace and bliss and happiness in meditation, and we attach to the memories of those experiences. So awareness allows us to be to recognize attachment is like this. Attachment to, to memories, isn't it? Can make us very discontented or uh, guilt-ridden or unhappy or resentful. <coughs> and so if I'm feeling resentful or threatened or upset by something, I remember myself, what am I attached to that I'm feeling that I'm feeling like this? And then I try to investigate that. If I'm feeling so upset or so ill at ease or threatened by something, what is it that I'm attached to? And I, I, just by asking myself that question, I begin to observe. Usually it's around not wanting something to be the way it is. Not, not wanting somebody to be the way they are. Not wanting to, to uh, 
life to be uh, this this the way it is at this time when when we experience various levels of praise and blame and appreciation and rejection uh, is a part of human experience and you know the ego depends very much you know to be reinforced by confirmation on you're okay and then there's always the fear maybe I'm not okay everything is okay tell me everything is okay and then somebody says Ajahn Tomato something's not okay I can feel you know when something's not okay then then I can go if I have the feeling of being threatened what's wrong Who's to blame? Then noticing this feeling, something's wrong, it's not okay. And then, you know, as a personality, then I think, what's wrong? We've got to solve the problem. We've got to make it right. If there's something wrong, we've got to make it right. Whose fault is it? And it's always this eager to put the blame on somebody. Noticing this, being aware of these tendencies, these habit tendencies, uh, awareness of, of this desire to, for pleasure, desire for becoming, desire for getting rid of. Desire is, is is observed, desire is, is recognized, desire is known. It's not getting rid, annihilating desire, but understanding. Through understanding, then desire is no longer a threat. This is the desire realm. Desire is like this. Sensory experience is like this. Uh, attraction, aversion, uh, principle of good and bad, beautiful, ugly, pleasant and unpleasant is like this. But what is constant in this relentless, inexorable flux is awareness. This is a sustainable. This we can sustain awareness through the emotional height and, and depressions that we experience. We can be aware of, of good thoughts and bad thoughts and be aware of pleasurable uh, visual and unpleasant visual experiences or sensory impingement. Awareness. Awareness then is, is, is the gate to the deathless through this awareness we can uh, no longer just be caught in this blind reactivity that we tend to, uh, that tends to enslave us. So I encourage you to, to keep this, you know, the practice of this paying attention. Uh, you know, no matter how many years you've been meditating, it's very, you know, it, it gets much more clear not just thinking you've solved the uh, you've had all your insights into impermanence but because then we you know we can 
we can think we've attained something or achieved something or we've already done it or we're bored with that or we you know we'd rather do something else there's so many alternatives isn't there there's all kinds of therapies and and various uh, options uh, that are more interesting to do get to understand your why you feel angry or resentful and on and on like this is much more interesting than than trusting in the awareness of that desire. So in in terms of uh, of encouragement, this uh, this is what I found that, that that sustains me in this life: the awareness, monastic life. You know, I've had a very good monastic life. I have no complaints about it. But it does have its moments of where you feel very inspired and and grateful and appreciative and go through periods of where it's pretty dreary and and uh, boring and seems pointless and useless. But what, you know, so you can't live on a high, on a, on a, a monastic high for 38 years. just not possible to sustain monastic inspiration. <coughs> but the, the Buddha is pointing not to inspiration as liberation, but awareness. And so like in any form, experience, like monastic, monasticism is a form, it's a convention, Buddhist monasticism. And so we you know, we, we volunteer to to live within the limits of this convention. But then the point of it is not to, to try to make monasticism perfect so that it's a continuous experience of inspiration and it, we're happy and just love it all the time. And uh, But it's a convention that limits so that we, we you know, we to refrain from unskillfulness as much as possible. Like living 38 years in, in Buddhist monasticism, I think of all the things I haven't done that I would have done if I'd been a lay person. And I'm grateful. <laughs> because of the monastic convention. <laughs> uh, because the bhikkhu discipline and that, the vinaya, you know, put a, some kind of boundary on behavior. And it's not, I've always liked the limitation of it, but it's certainly been, you know, looking back, I'm very grateful for that limitation because uh, at least I haven't made heavy karma in the past three eight years. I haven't become a saint or anything, but I'm certainly not, uh, you know, uh, uh, just that limitation on behavior has been very helpful in in refraining from getting carried away. That uh, if it were just left up to me personally, I would I would easily get carried away with certain situations and and act maybe in unskillful ways. But it is a convention and. 
And so it is limited. Then it's not meant to be, you know, something that, that pleases us and we all, and, and we like all the time because that's not possible. But it is good enough to use for reflection. And, and that's, that's, the, that's what I'm pointing to, the value of this reflection, of awareness, observing, the, discerning the way things really are, the way it is. So more and more this sense of impermanence isn't, isn't kind of a forced projection of the idea of impermanence onto life, but it, it's really, you see it, you see flux. You're, you're, you're aware of how change more than, than just being fascinated or repelled by the quality of the condition. So you, your awareness of like beauty increases, but you're you know, it isn't that you, you, don't, you don't see beauty anymore, but you see beauty change. You've seen the way it is. You've seen the same applied to that which is ugly or painful, seen in terms of change, which doesn't deny or, you know, change the, the, the quality in the present, but it's seen the quality in a way that, that isn't grasping it either through trying to hold on to it or trying to resist it. So it's a, it's a very radical way to, to, of mental development, uh, the Buddha's uh, practice of awareness, the Buddha's path. You know, because we, we don't, uh, we, we are very bound into the critical, the analytical uh, function of our minds. We're very attached to views, opinions, concepts, ideas. <coughs> For instance, uh, just being able to, you know, like living in, in, in Amravati, this community here. We can compare it with Chithurst or with Wat Chat or with some other place. And that's fair enough. But the point, the, but the way of liberation isn't in comparing which is the best monastery, which, which is right and which is wrong, but in recognizing that Amravati is like this. You know, which is not, not a judgment, it's just awakening. It's, this, it's like this. So I'm, I'm opening to the reality of living here in this community, in this place. Begin to, you know, and it's, it's an acceptance of the way it is. Doesn't mean liking everything about it or, you know, or, or resenting the fact that it doesn't live up to my, my principles or standards that may be very high, but it is it is the ability to to open and receive and to to uh, discern how this this situation affects me like this like some people say I can't live at Amravati and things like this because they 
they they've got a standard of uh, that they you know some uh, standard different where they they because it doesn't fit into their standard then they then they when whenever they come here they just feel critical of it and averse but in terms of mindfulness you know that's what we're we're encouraging not not to, to have a party line you know and say and affirm that that everybody should love the Amravati equally that's another ideal but in willing to receive even our aversion or suspicion or fear in terms of changing it's it's not a permanent condition it it's uh, ephemeral its changingness is this way you stay with the changingness of the reality of this moment it you know it goes up and goes down like just like the breath inhale exhale if you don't if you don't patiently receive something and just react to it then you never see the movement of things you've already uh, reacted out of ignorance to to the quality of the condition well, some people they don't like chithurst so then they can't live at chithurst listen to that you know listen to your your own preferences not believe it and i can't live with that teacher or i can't live in that place and uh, I'm not saying that you should want to live and that you should be able to live in every monastery equally but, but be aware of the biases you're forming the assumptions you're making and they're changing this not in terms of <coughs> you know analyzing why but observing the reality of holding to views and opinions So then you you can really um, you know the, then the way of liberation is not through control but through understanding not getting it doesn't depend on getting what you want or things being what you like but on understanding the way things are and this gives us tremendous liberation we we aren't afraid then we're beyond fear once we understand this because fear always is the result of of you know the unknown and and i've got to have this in order to be feel safe i've got to feel safe and i need to have this situation in order to feel safe and i i can't you know bear this and i can't stand that then that if one doesn't really observe that uh then you're limited to that you've got to live a life based on fear and controlling which is the suffering that human beings have in this realm <coughs> so like you know we get very you know I've tried to use every situation I'm in as as a for reflection 
So when, when I went to Russia last month, you know, I, I've never been to Russia before, and so of course there's a lot of, Russia's played a very important part in my life because when I was a child it was the, uh, the uh, ally, and then after the Second World War it was the enemy. So in, in the States we were subjected to all kinds of anti-Soviet, anti-communist propaganda, which makes something very interesting. I'm one of those people when they when when the the authorities start condemning something and and trying to convince me it's wrong, makes it more interesting. <laughs> I'm more interested in it. So, and then of course Russia now is a friend again. So, and going into uh, going to Russia not with the idea of of comparing it, you know, with England or the United States but opening to the reality of experience there. So going to, in other words, feeling of going to bless, to be a blessing to Russia rather than, than a, one who goes there to criticize it or compare it with some other place. This was my intention. So then going into the immigration, getting off the plane, and it seemed like total chaos in Moscow, and, and it's, it's worse than I'd ever seen in India. <laughs> and, <so I> was <laughs> and we had to wait two hours to get through uh, just immigration, through passport control. And then when we got in, you know, we were waiting in line for two hours, and it was a very hot day, and everybody was pushing and shoving. So the practice, was opening to the situation. Now it's so easy to just complain and be averse to it and say, oh, why did I ever come here? Look, at this is, this is what Russia's like. And going to kind of a, you know, being irritated and frustrated and, uh, by the experience because it was irritating experience. So rather than following irritation, hey, I determined to just receive it let the heat, the, the frustration be what it is. So I didn't really suffer from it. I felt sweaty and, and, the, and, the, and the inconvenience. But, but if I didn't make anything out of it, then I'm not suffering. There's a difference. If I start, I don't like this, I don't want this to be, I don't want to have this experience, why did I come here? Uh, why can't they do it? And why, what the, what's wrong with this country? And on like, then I'm suffering because those kind of mental states created out of ignorance are negative and they, they, you know, it's not pleasant, not a peaceful state of mind. But in awareness, then there is, the, the state of consciousness is quite pure, peaceful, in spite of the irritating impingement to know that difference. Then, as we got through the immigration, we looked for our bags. We couldn't find our bags <laughs> anywhere. And so, <laughs> oh my God, that's no. <laughs> and then, uh, 
And then somebody came, a, a young English couple that was on the same plane, said, they've lost our bags. We've had, to, we've had to go to this counter and kind of make a claim for lost baggage. And I thought, oh, no. My bowl, my sankati, everything's in this bag. Oh, uh, stop. Because <laughs> who wants to lose their bags, you know? It's not, you know, that's one of the fears we have when we're traveling is that they'll, they'll put our bag on the wrong plane. And it has happened. And then somebody pointed in a, off in some remote corner, there was my bags. <laughs> it wasn't lost. <laughs> and uh, so then the silent sense of relief. And then going into, you know, meeting the, the experiences I had in Russia were, you know, quite pleasant ones, really. But, if, but how, you know, how easy it is just to be put off by, by something unpleasant. And this takes determination in training the mind, using experience. It's easy when everything's going well to think, well, you know, just be mindful and when, when you have to wait in line for two hours on a hot day and people are pushing and shoving against you, there's a whole group of Japanese tourists came in after us. You know, and I thought, you know, and they, these little Japanese ladies, old ladies, were, they'd smile at you and they'd look kind of sweet and nice and then they'd be pushing you. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they got through immigration before I did. <laughs> so obviously they, they, they can operate in the crowd. They've got street, well, they're streetwise. I think the, the Tokyo Underground or something. <laughs> but uh, just noticing this, you know, like the feeling of when, when somebody's pushing you and trying to get ahead of you, that feeling that arises, you know, anger. Being aware like this, then I could use situations uh, for awareness that I'm forever grateful for because it, you, you know, you, you, the, the confidence in this path increases. It doesn't depend on, on harmony and peace and everybody, you know, loving each other in ideal situations. It's not, I don't ask that from life, that, that life live up to my principles and standards because and that's just not the way life is and the, the human human uh, human experience is you know dependent on conditions that uh, I have no control over beyond my ability to to control but the, the, then the ability to be aware is within my you know, I can do this. I'm developing awareness. This is something I can do. This is, you know, wherever I am, I trust this. Because it's not dependent. I, you know, my m mindfulness doesn't depend on ideal conditions. It's uh, with us wherever we are, with whatever state we're in, whatever is happening to us. And so this is to be trusted. And as we, in here in the monastic 
in a, in a monastic uh, community, awareness is the point of this, not, not to try to, to make yourself into some ideal monastic and, and try to, you know, act the role of being a monk or a nun or something and, and, and according to the ideals you have about it. But being aware of that, how we, of how we use monastic form, monastic convention, the way we hold it or criticize it, what we like and we don't like about it. Like, uh, liking is condition, disliking is condition. And so this, this way we, we grow in wisdom and, and uh, realize the path of non-suffering, which is the whole point of the Buddha's teaching to liberation from suffering. So after this, there's a reflection for this evening. <laughs>